As a pastor, I'm constantly concerned about how to create connections beyond just the weekend services. And one of the valuable tools that we have found for achieving this at our church is our app powered by Subsplash. It's one thing to have an app. It's another thing to have an app that has the ability to allow your community to access messages, resources, and even give. And Subsplash created that for us. It's become our go-to platform for connecting with our congregation in ways we never could have before. Subsplash is so much more than just a platform or even just an app. It brings people together, empowers giving, and transforms lives. If you're interested in learning more, I encourage you to visit their website at subsplash.com. That's S-U-B-S-P-L-A-S-H.com. Subsplash.com. Following Jesus isn't always easy, but it's not complicated. Join us each week as we work to make faith simple. This is Simple Faith. What do you do when your dream dies? For many of us, we feel like a failure, but what if the dream wasn't for you to complete? Today, we hear from one of the founders of Elevation Worship, a ministry of Elevation Church in North Carolina. Elevation Worship has written and recorded some of the most popular worship songs of the last decade. And just as it began to take off, one of its founders was told, your part of the dream has gone far enough. His new book, This Dream Is Not For You, is truly amazing. And today, you get to hear his journey, which might be a lot like yours. Today, my conversation is with Wade Joy. I want to say thank you to Subsplash for their support of the podcast. And here's my conversation with author of the book, This Dream Is Not For You, Wade Joy. Wade Joy, thank you for joining the podcast. Uh, I am so glad that our mutual friend Frank Beeler put us together He's uh, been a guest on the show and just all around great guy. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, uh, just kind of the you know the 90 se- ninety second Wikipedia version of Wade Joy, and then we'll get into the book, which I can't wait to talk about. So go ahead. Well, thank you, Rusty, for having me. I'm really honored to be here and thankful for Frank. Frank knows a lot of people. He's an amazing connector. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I uh, have an amazing wife, Ferris. We've been married for 18 years and she's the best part about me. <laughs> um, and then I have three daughters, twins that are 15. My youngest daughter is 10. So I'm surrounded by women in my house. Um, so the word count is very high in the Joy household, uh, but I love it. And I've uh, been in ministry gosh, since college and usually in in some type of of music ministry or worship ministry for 15 years, I served as the worship pastor at Elevation Church uh, with Elevation Worship in in North Carolina. And for the past 18 months, I've been on a new journey, uh, stepping off of staff and spending time coaching worship leaders and pastors and preaching uh, at different churches across the country and have a podcast uh, called Dreamers and Disciples and and have this book. So I love teaching about basically discipleship is what it all comes down to and how to keep our heart centered on God mm. and surrendered to what he has for us. Mm. I love that. Um, a couple things. Where'd you go to school? I went to school uh, in Greenville, South Carolina at a college called Furman University. Yeah, I've heard of that. Okay, so you're you're a Carolina kid. Yeah, I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, spent there, spent 
all of my life in South Carolina until I moved to Charlotte for Elevation Church. Okay, and Charlotte's kind of right on the border, right? It's kind of close to both? Yeah, I mean, it's right there on the border of North and South Carolina. And it's about, if you're driving, it's only like an hour and a half to get to Columbia to Charlotte. Okay. Oh, wow. All right. Well, see, I'm a Carolina boy through and through. I love that part of the country. It's beautiful. I think we all got excited about it because of Outer Banks on Netflix. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> I know that's a different part of North Carolina, but it's uh-huh. a beautiful part of the country. Well, My life looks a little bit different than Outer Banks, but. <laughs> <laughs> Your wife's name is Ferris. Uh, she's probably too old to have been named after Ferris Bueller. Is that a family name or how did that come about? So most people assume it's because of Ferris Bueller, but it has nothing to do with that. It's just her, we, her mom just liked the name. We, <laughs> we wish that there was a, like a better story behind it. <laughs> um, but, but we love it. So we just let people think it's Ferris Bueller, but it's not really. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, you should make up your own story on that one. Um, well, listen, I'm, I'm glad you're here because of a couple things, mainly, uh, to tell you, uh, well, not mainly, mainly is the book. First of all, let me say this. Thank you for all of the work that you did with Elevation Worship, because we are all the beneficiaries of that. Uh, some of the songs that you helped write from, um, uh, you know, come to the altar and resurrecting and all these songs that a lot of us sing in churches and become the anthem for our Easter services. Uh, <laughs> you helped put together. So thank you for that. Uh, but I really want to talk to you about the book. Uh, and I love this title. Uh, this dream is not for you. And what I love about this is this is so different than a typical book that is put out there that's a little bit self-help, a little bit, you know, the parents on American Idol saying you can do anything and you're a great singer and the judges don't know what they're talking about. Right. But where did this book come from? Because I know it came from kind of a deep, painful place. But uh, give us the um, the genesis of this, the journey of this book, because it's just so profound. Thank you for saying that. That's, that's extremely kind. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny because the message of this book on its surface might sound kind of depressing, <laughs> kind of discouraging. Right. But I actually believe the message of the book is extremely hopeful and it can actually cause us to dream better dreams and to dream healthier dreams and to trust God in new ways. But I think to get there, it requires being willing to allow our dreams to die in the same way that as a disciple of Jesus, like we're called to lay our life down and that includes our dream. And I think in my life, the the journey to this book really started when I came on staff at Elevation Church. And I felt like I was going on two parallel journeys in my life with two separate dreams. I had my ministry dreams, uh, being a worship pastor and leader and songwriter, and I was getting to live in those dreams in some pretty amazing ways. And then I also had my dream, uh, my wife and I's dream of of having kids and and having a healthy family. And God took us on uh, a, a journey that we didn't quite plan for with our kids as well. So starting with the, the Elevation journey, when I first moved to Charlotte in 2007, alongside two other worship leaders, a guy named Chris Brown and a guy named Mac Brock, and Pastor Stephen cast the vision about what Elevation Worship was going to be. Like I said, I felt like I was living in my sweet spot, everything I'd ever prayed to be a part of. I was able to pastor the team. I was writing songs. I was leading worship. We started releasing albums for our church and and 
it was a long process. Sometimes people think the whole elevation worship journey was, was quick. It was very, very long. A lot of albums that you can never find now as we were trying to figure out how to write songs. Mm. Um, but as we were, you know, getting to record these albums and tour and things like that, I remember pretty early on, pastor Steven had a conversation with me where he said, Chris and Mac are amazing worship leaders and songwriters and vocalists. And I think they have an anointing on their life in a very special way to do those things. He said, you're good at those things, but I think you have a lid and you're going to hit that soon as we continue to grow. But I believe in you, there is the um, gifting to be a great pastor and shepherd and teacher. And one day you're going to have to decide, are you willing to let go of what you're good at in order to take hold of what God's called you to be great at? And that's not a, a fun thing for anybody to hear. I had all the ego and all the pride kind of kicking up saying, well, you don't really understand my gifting. You don't understand my, my calling and, and all just the natural reactions to something like that. But I remember going home that night after a conversation like that, because this was a long process. Pastor Stephen led me well over the course of honestly, several years of helping me arrive at that place. Um, and so I remember getting home one night and I go up to my room and I'm frustrated. I'm mad at God for letting this happen and, and all that. Like, why would you let me get so close to the dream? And right when things are getting good, why is it like, why is the door shut? And so I, I looked at my Bible after a little bit of a pity party and it was open to where I'd finished reading it that morning. And I don't normally suggest just opening your Bible and reading the most random thing there as a way for God to speak, but yes, the Russian roulette devotion. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. But the Lord really did speak something very profound to me because it opened to the place where David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. Mm. And he thought that that was God's dream for him. And in fact, when he first told Nathan the prophet to do it, Nathan said, go ahead and do it, do whatever you have in mind. But then God spoke to Nathan and Nathan came back to David and said, this is not for you to do. You're a warrior and you've shed blood. This is for your son to do. And although I'm not saying I'm David and I don't think I've ever been a warrior who shed blood besides my own, uh, when I read that, I realized that, you know, in the same way that God was telling David this dream in your heart, it's a good thing, but it's not for you to do. In the same way, God was asking me to trust God, to trust him with my dreams. And was I willing to help build a space and a worship ministry and help build a church that was going to allow for other people to walk in the things that I once wanted to do? And could I die to my dreams so that other people could live in theirs and so that I could dream new dreams and see what God wanted to do through his ultimate dream of the church. So that was in that moment, I felt like God said, I've got you. I see you trust me. And it took years for me to really mm. fully embrace that. And it took a lot of like saying, okay, God help me to faithfully walk this through, even if I don't feel it. But over the course of, of time, I felt like I began to dream new dreams and and really found so much joy in watching new worship leaders come up and begin to do the things that I wish I could do, but no longer was able to, or no longer, I had to realize that they were actually more gifted than I was and have some more self-awareness. But God changed my heart 
as I walked through the path of letting one dream die and it left my hands open to dream those new dreams. So that was one path. At the same time, um, with our family, we had these dreams for our family to have, you know, healthy children and, and, you know, all the dreams that you have as first time parents. And then our twins were born in 2008, uh, three months premature, one pound, 14 ounces, two pounds, five ounces. And that was not the dream that we had dreamed for as first time parents. Like the doctors told us that they had very little chance of survival. It was an emergency birth. Three days later, after they were born, one of my daughters was diagnosed with a grade four brain bleed. They said she would never walk, talk. They encouraged us to take her off life support if things got bad enough. And that was devastating for us. And, you know, what do you do when the dreams that are most precious to you, like the the people that you love, when those don't look the way you thought? And when it, you're realizing that, oh, what about the dreams that my daughter's going to dream one day and, and can't walk in? And so we like we prayed and fasted and and believed for a miracle and God did amazing things in the lives of our daughters. They came home three months later doing everything the doctor said they wouldn't do, but it's still been a journey. One of them has um, mild cerebral palsy, weakness on her right side. And about four years after they were born, we finally had the courage to dream again and to say, "Okay, God, let's can we have another child?" And we went through that process and uh, we got pregnant again. And then Sydney was born not early. She was actually a week late, but when she was born, she had to get rushed to the NICU because her intestines ruptured. So we were right back at the place we never wanted to be again in the NICU. Mm. And then five weeks later, she was diagnosed with something called cystic fibrosis, which is a serious lifelong genetic condition. Mm. And I was probably at my lowest point then because I was really frustrated with the Lord and saying, God, you gave us the faith to trust again, and then this feels worse than what happened last time. Mm-hmm. But it was in that just authentic and honest pain that my wife and I were navigating that we felt the presence of God and the nearness of God in a way I don't know if I've ever experienced before. And God just step by step, day by day, walked us through that journey, even when the days where I felt like I had zero faith, um, God was faithful and God was with us. And Sydney is actually doing on the scale of cystic fibrosis. She's doing amazingly well, but I think that journey combined with my ministry journey helped me see how often I define myself, myself by my dream, my ambition, what I think I'm supposed to do for God. And I just hold on to that with all of my might. And sometimes circumstances are needed to force me to let go to truly trust and surrender to God, Mm. which happens to all of us. Mm -hmm. There are things that every single one of us have dreamed about that hasn't happened the way we wanted it to. And when we equate our dream with our purpose, which is ultimately what you do when you define yourself by something, and you don't get that dream, does that mean you don't have a purpose anymore? Have you missed out on God's call for your life? And that leads to a very dark place. Or you get your dream, and it's not what you thought it would be. And you're either disillusioned or you think you brought it to pass in your own strength and that can um, cause you to not be as dependent on God. So I think that's where the danger lies on both sides of it. And the reason that's antithetical to the gospel is the gospel is about what Christ did for us through his death and resurrection. 
when we live as if we're chasing our dream and we're having to make our dream happen to give our life purpose, our life has then become about our works and our efforts and our achievements rather than what Christ achieved on the cross. And so we have to make sure we define our dreams rather than our dreams defining us. So your dream is one way that you can live out your purpose. Your dream is one vehicle and you might have one dream for one season of your life and one dream for another. And you might hear a no to a dream that opens you up for the right dream for that season that you never would have expected. But the only way you can do that is to have open hands and realize that you can carry your purpose and your calling into any season, into a job you love, into a job you hate, into a family that's healthy, into a family that's picking up the pieces again. And so we have to learn how to carry our purpose and who we are as children of God into those scenarios rather than trying to chase those those dreams and those jobs and those ambitions to try to give some meaning to our life. I don't know if that makes sense, but mm. that to me is is the heart. It's it's really what are you chasing? Are you seeking first the kingdom or are you seeking first the dream? Wow, that's so profound. I, I think you're you're dead on to something here that our culture um, wants no part of. We only want to pursue the dream. As Christians, we adopt that mentality and assume that's what God wants for us. And so if the dream doesn't happen, then either something's wrong with God or something's wrong with us. Hmm. And you talk about that in the book, either God wasn't yeah. good or he wasn't great. And you've walked through you know, kind of the loss of several dreams. You had your dream of you know, being a successful musician and band and being, as you said, best friends with Stephen Curtis Chapman, uh, which we all dream of that. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that didn't go. Then you thought it was worship ministry, which was great until mm -hmm. God said, okay, you've taken it as far as I want you to. Healthy family, which has mm -hmm. been difficult with uh, you know, uh, kids that were born too early and uh, cystic fibrosis and uh, different struggles that they've had. Boy, this seems like it's a crisis of, could be a crisis of faith to be believing if God is good or if God is great. And what I love in the book is, and I'm going to tee you up to tell us about this one. This is so good. David is told that his dream of completing the temple is not going to be fulfilled by him, but rather by his son. Mm -hmm. And his response is so different than how you and I would typically respond. We would beg, we would plead, we would get mad, we'd run away from God. Tell us what David did instead. Hey, let me interrupt for just a second. If you're a church leader and your church does not have an app or your app seems to be a little bit limited, check out subsplash.com as a great resource to really give your app all the horsepower that it needs. You can connect people, you can help them get access to messages, and you can help them set up recurring giving, which is a game changer when it comes to resourcing your ministry. Subsplash.com. Okay, back to our episode. I mean, David's response first and foremost was to worship right, and to turn his attention to God and say, God, you ultimately it's what we were just talking about. I trust you. I surrender to you. And he put his dream into the narrative of God's story. So David wanted to build a house for God. God wanted to build a house through David through which the Messiah would eventually be born. And so I think as we worship, we begin to, to center our hearts and our minds 
on the narrative that we're a part of, which is God's kingdom, God's narrative, what he is doing in the earth through the gospel. And it's all centered on Jesus. And so it worship takes ourselves out of the center of our own dream and, and acknowledges that Christ is meant to be the center. I think also what you see David do, is, and this is later on, is he begins to equip Solomon to fulfill the dream. So he champions the person that is living in the dream that he wanted to be the one to, to bring to pass. And I think one of the best ways that we can actually shift our hearts in partnership with worship is to, then to do everything we can to encourage other people to walk in the fullness of what God's put in them, even if they're doing the thing we wish we could be doing. And I think there is a, is a powerful, powerful transformative effect that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts when we get our focus off of ourselves and put it onto God and then onto other people. Because your dream ultimately is never about you. It's, it's meant to serve God and to help and serve others. Hmm. And so I think that's, that's one of the, the beautiful lessons that we learn from David. David obviously doesn't get everything right in scripture, but I think one of the things we see in David's life is how quickly he pivots his heart back to God, back to repentance, back to trust. And so I talk about that a lot in the book is how do we pivot our hearts multiple times a day? For me, I feel like I'm pivoting from the striving self to the surrendered self all the time, but it's learning to recognize, okay, I'm putting myself in the center. God, help me help me to get things back in alignment. Help me to trust you. Help me to pivot back to the surrendered self. So I think that is my heart for the book is to help people identify when they're striving and what it looks like to be surrendered and how can you quickly pivot your heart back to worship uh, multiple times throughout the day. Oh, I love that. I was just talking to somebody the other day about how you know, I feel like the the boomers, if I could use generational terms, uh-huh. we're all about, hey, we we live to work, 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 work. And then along came Gen X, which I think you're still at the tail end of. I think I am. Uh, and, and I'm, a, I'm a proud Xer myself. And we were like, uh, yeah, we, we don't like that. Um, but then like the generation after us, now they're they're almost hustling harder than a lot of us because they're starting their own companies on Etsy and Instagram and and TikTok at the age of twelve and fourteen and and there there's so much you know so many more dreams that they're having. The striving self seems to be a lot more uh, tempting uh, for you know in this age than the surrendered self. Um, you give a prescription for that, and that's I love that you brought this up because I was going to ask you about it. The pivot practice. Yeah, you got three steps in here. I'm going to walk you through each of the three. And I want you just to kind of break this down for us a little bit. The first one is, yeah, let go of your position in the dream. Talk about that. Yeah, it's it's a bit of what I was just mentioning of how number one, we have to realize that we are never meant to be the center of our own dream, and so we have to acknowledge that Christ is the center. And really, I don't talk about this as much in the book, but one of the things that I've taught is that a healthy dream is always meant to be more of a mirror. I mean, sorry, it's meant to be more of a window than a mirror. So a mirror reflects yourself Mm. back at you. That's so good. Whereas a a window, you're looking through it at other people. And I believe your dream is meant to be something you look through to see the people whose lives you can help make better, who you can serve through it. It's not meant to just reflect your own image back at you. Mm -hmm. And so I think we've got to, number one, realize 
the right focus for our dream. But then also we have to be willing to let go of where we will end up playing a role within the dream. So it could be something that you start, but like you said earlier, you're not meant to finish. Or maybe, you know, I helped start it, Elevation Worship, Leading Worship, but where I needed to eventually transition to is being more of a pastor who could help shepherd the team. And as long as I was unwilling to let go of that and just cling to what the position I thought I needed to have, that's where jealousy creeps in. That's when envy creeps in. That's when I get defensive. And then I am i don't have open hands to actually um, be available to move into the new thing that God has for me. You know, I for so long defined my life as Wade, the worship leader. And there's been so many things that I've experienced since laying that dream down that I would have missed that were beautiful gifts and amazing dreams if I just held on to that one definition of my life. So I think we have to be willing to say, okay, if this dream really is of God, and if it's something that is going to help further his kingdom in the earth, then do I care enough about that? to be willing to shift to whatever role I need to play to make that happen. Mm. I think that's a practice of humility. So yeah, that's the first thing. Let go of your position in the dream. So the second one is let go of your silence around the dream. Yeah. So I, I say in the book that dreams always incubate in silence. They always start in our heart. Um, I believe David had been dreaming about that temple for a long time before he ever went to the prophet Nathan about it. Mm. But I think sometimes we declare a dream dead prematurely because we've never even given birth to it yet. We, we're too afraid to talk to somebody about it. We're too afraid to take a step. And I think the first thing that we have to do to really surrender a dream to God is begin to talk about it to other people and to begin to take like tiny steps towards it because the Word of God says that the Lord directs the steps of the godly. And I think that direction happens as we're taking steps and as we're willing to look a little awkward and and for things to not be perfect. Because I think some people, they sit on a God-given dream because they're afraid of how silly they're going to look trying to bring it to pass. Mm. And then it never happens. Or they think they have to have the right bank account, the right team right away. Um, or sometimes we sit on it because we're afraid of what other people are going to say and maybe the hard truths that we need to hear that God's going to speak to us through someone else. And so I think there's a vulnerability and a trust and a humility that happens when you say, hey, this is on my heart. What do you think? Mm. This is on my heart. Will you be a part of this? Um, doing a lot of research and taking a step and making it public. I think when we put it out there like that, then... Um, we are more open to the direction that God wants to give us. Mm. Okay, last one. Let go of your expectations for the dream. Yeah, that's um, that's one I think that all of us can relate to, whether we like it or not, and that is your dream will never look in reality the way it does in expectation. Sometimes mm. it actually looks better. <laughs> it exceeds your expectations. And sometimes it doesn't live up to them at all. And so I think we have to be willing to say, God, I'm going to trust you in this no matter what it looks like. Because sometimes in my life, I've realized that there was a dream in my heart that God used to get me started just moving. And it was in the process of moving that the Lord redirected me 
to a different dream and a better dream for that season. But you know, if we just hold on to the dream has to look exactly the way I thought it would, then we're going to experience a lot of frustration and resentment. And it's going to be very hard to be content Hmm. when we hold God to our blueprint and our expectations. Hmm. And so I was just talking to somebody last week. They're like, why would God have me step out to do this for it to fail? And we had to talk about how it's too early to deem something a failure Hmm. because you have no idea what God used that experience to teach you or the connections that that were made through it. And you have no idea how God is going to use the seed that was planted through what seems like a failure. You have no idea what that's going to blossom into later on in your life. And it might not look like what you expected it to, but God uses all of it. And so I think we have to not label things too early in our, both in the expectation phase and the initial implementation phase. Hmm. We just have to be open-handed, which is really the posture of the book that I talk about is just being open-handed for whatever God wants to bring to pass. Mm. So good. Well, I I love the book, uh, and I, I highly recommend it. This Dream is Not For You by Wade Joy, and that's J-O-Y-E. J-O-Y-E, yep. Uh, yeah, Joy with an E. Um, it's a great read. I, I, I want to ask you this, though, and then I want to get into uh, uh, some other questions that are a little bit unrelated. But you've been through the what some would refer to as the loss of a dream or the death of a dream several times now and a lot of us have been through that how do you keep dreaming because god still wants us to yeah to, for lack of a better term dream big and think about big expectations for the kingdom advancement and how do you not just become cynical and say whatever and just sit back and and let life pass you by yeah that's a great question um I think it it all depends on your vantage point because yes, there are deaths to certain dreams that I talk about in the book and that I've I had to walk through, but I've also lived a lot of incredible dreams. And <clears throat> I think I mentioned this in the book that when I was wrestling with that whole thing about, you know, laying down, leading worship and not writing songs anymore, I was still part of an amazing worship ministry in church that was sending songs to bless people around the world. I was had gotten to lead worship in some amazing, um, just through some amazing years of our church. And I remember that years before, you know, when I was trying to make it as a Christian artist, long before I ever even knew to dream about Elevation Church, I had prayed, God, let me be a part of writing a song one day that your church sings around the world. Hmm. And there was nothing I could have done to engineer my path to to make it look like elevation church or elevation worship and i realized as i was grieving one dream i was actually living in the dream i'd once prayed for and i'd gotten to experience that and i got to be a part of it and i think we have to learn yes there are times where we have to let go of some dreams but that doesn't diminish the dreams that we've been able to walk in and that, yes, I got to walk in that dream of being a worship leader for some incredible experiences. And now God was saying, okay, I gave you that. Can you trust me in this next season of my life? Mm. And so I think when I, when I take, I talked about narratives earlier, when I take back and I look at the overall narrative of my life, what I see more than dead dreams I see is I see God's faithfulness. I see 
answered prayers. I see God's goodness that even in the painful seasons of crying in a hospital room, I see God's presence there. I see God's grace there. I see the miracles he's done in, in, in my children's lives. Um, and I think all of us, there, there are people that are listening to this. They're like, well, God didn't give me that miracle with my child. And there's nothing I can say to take away that kind of pain. But I still encourage people to step back and look at your life and identify where God has been good to you. Identify um, the grace that he's given you when you didn't think you had the strength to make it through the next day. Begin to tell the story to recount God's faithfulness and begin to expect his goodness in the present day. Because God's goodness is in the present tense. It's not just in the past tense. And so I think we have to just get a better narrative for our life and really say, okay, as a Christian, I have banked my life and my eternity on the fact that God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That right there is an incredible life-changing truth if we can just hold on to that in the middle of our disappointments. And so I think getting that narrative for my life, uh, a cross-centered, Jesus-centered, resurrection-centered narrative, and then looking at just the goodness of God in my life and not just focusing on this one season because the chapter you are in is not the full story of your life. And I think where we get stuck is when we think that this chapter is the end. This chapter is the whole story. Hmm. That's good. Well, look at the chapters that came before and realize that there are chapters yet to be written. And I think that helps us dream again. Reminds me of an Elevation song. I will look up for there is none above you. I will bow down to tell you that I need you. Jesus, Lord of all. Uh, these, these words, I will look back and see that you're faithful. I look ahead believing you are able. Uh, what you have created there is uh, an expression of your life, uh, which is certainly evident in this book. So on behalf of many, many churches that have been blessed by the worship ministry that you helped start, thank you. It continues on. Oh, that's, that's very... I just, I, I'm grateful just to play a small part in it, that Pastor Stephen would would invite me into it, and then I get to be surrounded by so many amazing people. So that, that season was definitely a gift in my life. So yeah, thank you. Okay, now I want to do something that I'm referring to, and this is not original with me, referring to as the lightning round. All right. And I want to ask you just a variety of, of off-the-wall questions, and you can sum up in an answer, you know, in a sentence or two. First one might be a little bit difficult to sum up, but the biggest difference between writing a song and writing a sermon, go. Oh, wow. Uh, songs live on in people's hearts longer than sermons do. That's true. Um, and so you have four minutes to communicate a truth about God and make a personal connection that you want people to be able to hang on to uh, for a long time. A sermon feels weighty because you are attempting to explain at a deep level and a, at the same time, a practical, helpful level, something that is, is creating and shaping someone's faith and their character and is helping get them through low points. So it's, it's very, it's similar in some ways, but also exercises very different parts of your brain. I feel like. Mm, that's great. 
Favorite Stephen Curtis Chapman song. <laughs> you can't say The Great Adventure. I won't say The Great Adventure. Um, I won't say I Will Be Here. I sang that at a lot of weddings. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> the first one that comes to mind, just because it's our, I have a distinct memory singing this for a youth group in Greenville, South Carolina, it was King of the Jungle. That's a deep cut. Wow. Yeah, track <laughs> uh, track three on Welcome to the Real oh, World wow. or whatever. Heaven is the Real World, that's what it is. I don't think that's actually my favorite, but that's what comes to mind right now. Uh, I'll join in. Uh, my favorite is, boy, this is a really deep cut, from More to This Life, uh, the last song, More Than Words. Uh, I just think that one's brilliant. All right. Uh, you're a Diet Coke fan. Yes. Uh, Diet Co- And I know you've kicked the habit. Uh, because you had to, but Diet Coke or Coke Zero? Well, I haven't kicked the habit. I still, <laughs> I still. You still indulge? <laughs> I have my healthier version, Zevia, but if I'm out for dinner, I'll get a Diet Coke. Diet Coke over Coke Zero every time. Really? No question. Okay. Yes. Um, favorite elevation worship song that you helped write? Oh, wow. Um, there were three songs that were written as part of my kids being in the hospital that all hold a lot of personal Mm. um, connection for it. There's a song called Lord is my rock early song. um, And that was written about the twins. Mm. And then with Sydney, there's two songs called one called last word Mm. and one called the love of Jesus. Mm. Um, Those all hold like a very personal uh, side to me. And then if I'm going to take that aside, I would say, so I feel like I'm cheating. I've given you four answers. It's fine. Um, I was just grateful to be in the room for a song like, Oh, come to the altar. Um, mm. and just play a very small part in that song because I, I've just seen that song do really sp- special things in people's lives. Um, all over. My favorite part of that song is the bridge. Yeah. Oh, what a savior. Isn't he wonderful? That's just so cool. I love that part. Okay, last one. Uh, for many of us who know, um, you know, only by reputation alone and by watching countless hours of Instagram reels of Pastor Stephen Furtick, yeah. it seems like he is uh, becoming more and more like Dwayne Johnson in his physique. Uh, <laughs> is he on steroids? That's the big question. He, he is not on steroids. <laughs> I'm joking. Of course, I, uh, of course he's not. Um, I... <laughs> For several years, we, we had a group that would work out with him uh, on a pre, pretty regular basis. Let's just say um, I always had to have a different partner than him because the weights that I use are not quite up to, <laughs> <laughs> up to his level. Oh, that's hilarious. I will say this. he And this applies to songwriting, sermons, weightlifting, whatever, whatever he sets his mind to. He's probably the most disciplined person I know mm. and just focuses and gets in a routine and I think you see the fruit of that in a, in a lot of areas, whether it's songs or biceps. <laughs> That's a good word to end on. Well, uh, Wade, the book is called This Dream Is Not For You. Uh, it's uh, coming out in September of 2023. So uh, by the time this airs, it will be out telling everybody to go and purchase it right now. What's the best way we can find you and even find the book? Yeah, I'm, I'm very active on Instagram uh, at Wade Joy with the E, um, mm-hmm. and you know you can go to WadeJoy.com for more information about the book, or just search it 
uh, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, any place like that, and you should be able to find it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time today, buddy, and I really appreciate you being a part of this uh, this podcast. Thank you so much, Rusty. Well, next week, I can't wait for you to hear this. I had so much fun talking with this guy. Legendary pastor and leader Dave Stone joins us. Uh, he's just great. We're going to laugh a lot. We're going to learn a lot. And we're going to hear what he does with hate mail. You're going to love that. So make sure you subscribe and share and leave a review. And as always, keep it simple. Keep it simple.